0: This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is Denny Martinez, card
1: number 76, pitcher for the Montreal Expos.
0: Can't wait for this one. But before we get to that, we do have some corrections from previous episodes.
1: In the Gary Reedus episode, we talked about a pitcher. I think we said Rick Mahler. We pronounced him like his distant cousin, Gustav. But friend of the show, Mark Simon, let us know that it's Rick Mailer, more like his other cousin, Norman Mailer. So we will have time to fully correct the record on Rick Mailer's name on the Rick Mailer episode. Also, we talked in the Ed Olwine episode. This is less a correction and more of a prognostication we talked about the possibility that ed Olwine could be your super sicko score on immaculate grid if ever a braves 300 career hitter came up two days after that episode braves 300 career hitter showed up as a box on immaculate grid and i noticed when i answered it i got 0.007 by the end of the day it was up to 0.02 that is the 1988 tops difference. We are making numbers move. I did notice, however, that Adam Dorowski did not answer Ed Olwine. You know, we're we're gonna have to have Adam back on the show. He's gonna have to answer for this because I really thought that that Adam was messing with the algorithm here and trying to mess with us.
0: He was very cryptic in his Twitter commentary over whether he had anything to do with that category being in there. It could be that he put it in there. He snuck it in there as soon as he listened to the episode, but then didn't want to let on the fact that he was influenced by us and didn't want to use Ed Olwine for the automatic clutch rarity score. I
1: have heard from Adam on other podcasts, because he's been making the rounds talking about the Immaculate Grid. Mm. I have heard that he does not know what the categories are prior to the grid being released. But I think his failure to answer Ed Wine does say that, you know, he, he skipped the Ed Wine episode.
0: The silence is deafening. One other correction about Ed Oldwine that listener Joey pointed out to us on Facebook was that I misspoke when I said that Ed Oldwine's picture looked like it was taken at a minor league stadium. And we noted the mini-jumbotron, minitron in the outfield that had the Marlboro Man and Marlboro sign. Eagle-eyed listener Joey pointed out that that was actually Shea Stadium. <laughs> I just, we did not recall that that's what the the state of the art in New York technology was in 1988.
1: And the outfield didn't have bleachers. That was a thing I forgot that stadiums at the time didn't all have bleachers in the outfield. It was just open. So it did look like a minor league stadium, but thank you, Joey, for pointing that out. And finally, Matt, we have an earth shattering correction. We've been talking about Jay Baller for the last three years. Jay Baller's beautiful card, one of our favorite topics. It turns out we may have been saying his name wrong this whole time. According to at Legends Sports 3 on Twitter, the person who runs that account said that they saw Jay Baller pitch at AAA, and when he was announced, every time his name was announced, Baller, Jay Baller, this has been an upheaval. We've been getting at mentions, threats.
0: It's been terrible.
1: <laughs> My family's gone into hiding.
0: It's given me nightmares and it's haunted my waking hours. Two things about this, David. First of all, I want to validate at Legends Sports 3's personal experience. And he may have experienced it that way. He may have heard the name pronounced that way. And it might be that someone in the past has pronounced the word B-A-L-L-E-R and the name B-A-L-L-E-R as Balor. However... There's very few words in the English language that rhyme with that. It is a very unusual combination of vowels. The only word I can think of off the top of my head that I can find is valor. So like stolen valor would be like stolen valor.
1: This corrector said that it's bal as in rhymes with, you can call me Al or like balcony, not like ball. I've never seen that word pronounced that way. J Balor. I'm not sure that we're going to go back and correct the hundreds of times that we have referred to Jay Baller.
0: No. And, and in fact, I think the more likely scenario, if it were the fact that in the minor leagues, Jay Baller had pronounced his name as Jay Baller, I'm sure that with his rise to the big leagues and probably with his agent who understood the great fame and fortune that he would go on to. Probably had a Joe Thiesman moment where they said, Oh, how do you pronounce your name? And Joe Thiesman said, Thiesman. And the guy from Notre Dame, as the story went, said, No, it's Thiesman. It rhymes with Heisman. And just like that, he became Joe Thiesman. Jay Baller, Jay Baller, they said, Well, think about it. You pitch baseball your name is going to have ball in it. He pitches baseballs. He throws the baseball very fast. So that's my explanation. We are standing pat with our original pronunciation. You will not hear us say the word baller again unless we find evidence to the contrary beyond just one recollection.
1: Jay could call in. He could let us know. We would accept that. He could write in.
0: It's really the only evidence I will take is testimony from the man himself. You can reach us at 1988 podcast at gmail.com. Our mailbag is open. But now let's go to today's card and Denny Martinez. And why are we talking about Denny today?
1: As is tradition, I'm going to be visiting Montreal. And so when I do, we talk about an expo. El Presidente, Denny Martinez is one of those guys that makes us feel young He pitched until he was 44. Denny also overcame some personal struggles with alcoholism and came back stronger than ever to make four all-star game appearances and pitch a perfect game all after the age of 36. A remarkable career, a Nicaraguan national hero, and he has a Sabre bio by Rory Costello. So thank you very much, Rory.
0: Fantastic. Let's go to the front of card 76, and we have Denny Martinez on the front. Looks like he's in Jim Leland's office with that wood paneling. He's got a bright red Expos t-shirt on, <laughs> it looks like. It doesn't look like a jersey or a mesh top at all. And he's got a giant hat. He's got a mustache and a connected eyebrow. He looks fantastic.
1: He is hanging out in somebody's basement in 1988 or Jim Leland's office. Maybe he's he's got the ashtray there.
0: There are definitely beer cans and cigarette butts off screen.
1: This is after Denny's recovery, so he was not drinking out of any of them. Denny looks good here. He's got a big smile. This is one of the few wood-paneled cards. I don't know that we've seen a wood-paneling card. My grandparents had this wood-paneling in their basement. My grandpa also had a shelf with a bunch of Zippo lighters on it Mm -hmm. in that basement. So who knows? Maybe that's behind Denny up and to the right.
0: Yeah, we're in Denny's Lodge here. Let's go to the back of 76. We have Denny Martinez, pitcher, height 6'1", 185, right-handed thrower and batter, signed by the Orioles in 1973 as a free agent, born May fourteenth nineteen 1955 in Granada, Nicaragua, with a home in Randallstown, Maryland.
1: Before we start, I should mention that we're going to get into some Nicaraguan history here. While I do have a degree in history, I am not an expert in Nicaraguan history or the political movements or the Sandinistas or, or that rebellion. And so apologies in advance. Some of this gets pretty ugly and it will involve Denny later on. Not that he was involved in any revolution, but his name comes up because he is a national hero. And so even up until just the last couple of years, he's been enmeshed in the political world. His name is El Presidente. At one point, his name was raised as a possible candidate for the presidency, semi-seriously. But I just wanted to get that off the bat, that if we get something wrong here, apologies. This is a baseball history podcast, not a Sandinista rebellion podcast. Granada is a city on the shores of Lake Nicaragua or Cochibolca. Approximately 100,000 people live in Granada right now. Nicaragua is the largest country geographically in Central America and has a population over 6 million. In pre-Columbian times, the area was populated by nearly a million Nicaragua, Chorotega, and Chantal people. Columbus is the first recorded European to step foot in Nicaragua in 1502, but at the time he did not encounter any indigenous people and there were no Spanish settlements until 20 years later. In 1522, Spanish attempts to conquer the region were thwarted by local tribes But by 1529, the Spanish, through battle and illness, had devastated the indigenous population and there were only a few tens of thousands of people remaining. Those remaining were enslaved and many were sent to other colonies to work. Out of that colonization, Granada and León became two competing Spanish colonial cities in the region. And when Nicaragua was fighting for independence, the cities were on opposite sides politically, Leon was more loyal to Spain, while Granada approved of other neighboring nations' independence movements. For that anti-Spanish sentiment, Granada was punished by the colonial forces. When Nicaragua finally did gain independence in 1838, the cities were again on different sides of the political spectrum. And for that reason, there was a compromise between the two, and Managua became the national capital. Denny was born in Granada to Emilia and Edmundo martinez his full name was Dennis jose martinez ortiz and he was the seventh child after three brothers and three sisters by the time he was born his parents were estranged and his mother was in her 40s when she gave birth to him his father edmundo had a drinking problem and according to dennis he was the quietest most lovely drunk i ever saw he was very gentle but when he was drinking he would sell our pigs to get money for liquor And so Denny was 10 years younger than his most recent sibling. Because he was so much younger, he said he had a lonely childhood. His father wasn't around. He had left the family. Amelia took care of the family. She sold farm products at the local market. Denny said that he was a bit of a rascally kid, but he loved to play baseball. Didn't actually use a real baseball until he was 13, instead playing with balled up socks. He was initially an infielder on his local team, but he pitched a little bit, and that attracted national attention. When he led his local team to the Juvenile Championship, he threw a one nothing shutout and hit a home run for the game's only run.
0: At that point, there was no professional league in Nicaragua, but in 1970, an amateur summer league was founded. And by 1972, he tried out for the team in San Fernando. Their catcher would later say, my claim to fame is that I fired Dennis Martinez. (laughs) After failing to make the San Fernando team, he tried up for Granada Tiburones, who also told him no as an infielder, but they encouraged him to try pitching, and he made the team and the national team. With the national team, he helped Nicaragua win a bronze medal in the Amateur World Series in 1972. And later that year, on December 23rd, a violent earthquake hit Managua, killing between four to 10,000 people and displacing hundreds of thousands of people. The news of this earthquake reached the world and reached the heart of a famous baseball player.
1: And Matt, I know Roberto Clemente is a hero of mine, and as a Pirates fan, holds a special place for you. This earthquake in Managua indirectly led to the death of one of the greatest baseball players who ever lived, As Clemente had set up a relief mission to deliver supplies, what he heard from people in Managua was that the supplies weren't getting to the people who needed them and that the government was seizing the supplies and using them or siphoning off aid money. And so Clemente said he was going to fly himself. As we know, he perished in a plane crash on a rickety plane with a pilot who may or may not have been qualified to do so But that was all because of the political situation that led to this aid being misused and Clemente wanting to make absolutely sure that it was being used for the right purposes. Of Roberto Clemente, Danny Martinez said he had two heroes. One as a pitcher, Juan Marichal, and the other was Roberto Clemente as a human being.
0: In 1973, the 17-year-old Martinez married Luz Marina Garcia, who was 15 at the time. They were both students. Deddy was studying engineering at the university while still playing baseball. And that year, despite earthquake damage, Nicaragua held the Amateur World Series. Nicaragua made it to the gold medal game against the United States. And according to scout Ray Poitavent, Dennis was young and wasn't supposed to pitch but the older pitch in the rotation got hit in the groin with a grounder and had to sit it out. And so Denny came in and pitched 10 innings of shutout ball. He told his teammates,
1: I just need one run. But they couldn't get it for him against Rich Wortham, who would go on to pitch for the White Sox a few years later. Nicaragua lost one to nothing in a disappointing loss and took the silver medal. But there were scouts in the crowd. And at that point, it was clear that Denny was too good to stay in Nicaragua. His manager told an Orioles scout, and that's why Ray Poitavent was there. We discussed Ray in the Joey Meyer episode. He signed Juan Neves, Teddy Aguera, Eddie Murray, and he was portrayed by Alan Arkin in the Million Dollar Arm movie. Ray passed away in 2017. But Poitevin said of Danny, he looked like a pencil, but he had natural talent, as much as anyone, and he was hungry. He wanted to be
0: something. He weighed only 135 pounds at that time and was six foot one. Ray said that he saw mental toughness and emotional control in Dennis. And Baltimore kept the signing under wraps at first to avoid competition. His mom, Amelia, helped negotiate the contract and he got a $3,000 signing bonus. Point Event would later call it the best money I ever spent. The same year, they signed their number one draft pick to a $20,000 bonus. That was Eddie Murray. Both pretty good players. So Denny began his career at A-Ball in Miami. First year,
1: he went 15-6 and with a 2.06 ERA. He had a whip under one. 1975, he makes stops at A, AA, AAA. Combined, he's 16-5 and with a 2.68 ERA. His last stop that year was at AAA, but only for two games. 1976, he's still only 22 years old. But at AAA Rochester, he went 14-8. and with a 2.5 ERA, and at this point there were some warning signs that Denny might be following his father's path toward alcoholism. Some teammates said that he had developed bad nighttime habits and enjoyed the party life, and he had never been away from Nicaragua for this long, and he said that after games people would just be passing beers around. That got him started. Despite that, he's the International League's Pitcher of the Year, won the pitching triple crown, leading the league in wins, ERA, and strikeouts, and earns a call-up to Baltimore for four games, and he would only go back to the minors for rehab stints after that.
0: In 1976, he made his debut in relief against the Tigers, struck out the first three batters he faced, and he came in down 7-5, to five. didn't allow a run in 5.2 innings. The Orioles came back, and he earned a win in his first appearance. At this point, Dennis had a good curveball and a decent fastball. He would later develop a changeup, after which he said, I blossomed. But at this point, batters were looking for his curve, and then he was able to be effective with his fastball. In the offseason, he played in Puerto Rico for Caguas. He would help them win three titles, and Puerto Rico became a second home to him.
1: 1977, he's a swingman, starting 13 games, finishing 19 games. 14-7 record with a four point one ERA, four saves. The next year he moves into the rotation, but this is a rotation with future Hall of Famer Jim Palmer and future all-stars in Mike Flanagan and Scott McGregor. Dennis had a difficult first half going seven and seven with an ERA near five, but he made some changes. He learned that he was tipping pitches with his facial expressions, particularly when he had chaw or gum in his cheek. He would give away what pitch he was gonna throw. Also, his wife, Luz, was called in and, and was asked, what do you see that's different about Dennis's pitching? And she told pitching coach Ray Miller that he was dipping his shoulder when he pitched. They worked on that, fixed it. Second half of the season, his ERA is cut in half. He goes 9-4. and four. He had a 100 ERA plus, so exactly average on the season in 276 innings. That O's team won 90 games, but also finished fourth in the AL East.
0: 1979, Dennis was established as a starter, but also in 1979, the Sandinista National Liberation Front overthrew the Somoza government in Nicaragua. The Somoza family dictatorship had been in power from 1936 to 1979 and made billions through bribes, land deals, and foreign aid siphoning. The Carter administration had made U.S. military aid conditional upon improvements in human rights, as their National Guard had been torturing and imprisoning political opponents. So the Sandinistas, an opposition group, gained power. Anastasio Somoza Dabile fled. He was assassinated in 1980. I would say you can learn more about the Sandinistas and the Iran-Contra affair in my other podcast, but this is even too deep for me, David. It was a difficult time
1: In Nicaragua, and also a difficult time for Dennis personally, he couldn't get in contact with his mother who, despite his success, had remained in Nicaragua. When the Somoza regime fell, Dennis's teammate Ken Singleton told him, you're going to be El Presidente. And that nickname stuck with him throughout his career. But back home, he had a different nickname, El Chirizo, not El Chirizo. And I could not find a translation for this, but it is said to refer to his hair that tended to stick up.
0: Amid that difficult personal situation for Dennis, he was solid for Baltimore. He had good runs, including 10 wins without a loss and 14 starts between April and June, but came back to earth and finished the season 15 and 16 with a 3.66 ERA. That's a 110 ERA plus. He led the league in starts with 39 and 18 complete games, which is out of this world. He also threw 292 innings, which led the league, some black ink on the card for innings pitched games started and complete games that year since 1979 only four players have had a season with more innings than 292 that was Phil Necro Steve Carlton twice Burt Blylevin and Jack Morris and nobody has done it since 1985 that
1: season the Orioles won 97 games Denny got to play in the playoffs against California He went eight and a third innings, giving up only two runs, but then gave up a double to Rod Carew and was pulled up three to two. His teammate Don Stanhouse could not hold the lead. Don Ossie got the win. This is synergy with another soon to be recorded episode about Don Ossie. So look out for that one. In the World Series, Denny got the start in game four, but he gave up four runs in a little over one inning and was pulled. The Orioles came back to win that game. He later appeared in the ninth inning of Game 7. He was the fifth pitcher that Earl Weaver used in the ninth inning of Game 7. He came in down 3-1 with the bases loaded and one out. He hit Bill Robinson to force in a run and then got Willie Stargell to ground into a double play. But the Orioles couldn't get anything against Teak in the ninth inning. They lost the game and the
0: World Series. After that extensive use in 1979 and all of the innings that he pitched in the regular season and postseason, he had a sore shoulder in 1980, limited to only 99 innings and playing only 25 games. There were trade rumors in the offseason, but the injury kept his value low, so he stayed in Baltimore. In 1981, he ended up leading the American League in wins with 14. This was the strike-shortened season pitching nine complete games and 179 innings. That was sixth in the American League. He was fifth in the Cy Young balloting that year and received a few MVP votes as well. This earned him a five-year contract, but his performance the next couple of years dipped. He was back to
1: full, ridiculous innings in 1982, 252 innings pitched, but his ERA went up almost a full point to 4.21. He was now below average in ERA. And in September... His father was walking in Nicaragua and was hit by a truck. Alcohol was likely a factor, and Edmundo passed away. Though his father had abandoned the family, Dennis still loved him and would go back and visit, and he returned for the funeral. And this may have impacted the next couple years for Denny, along with his own alcohol use, the compounding factors of all of these personal issues as well as drinking would lead to some down years and even though 1983 was peak Orioles magic it was also a culmination of personal problems for Denny his drinking became more apparent he said that the availability of alcohol on road trips is what initially led to his drinking problems he was lonely missed his family at first he drank only on days that he didn't pitch and later he was drinking every day he avoided drinking at home at first. He didn't like his wife or kids to see him drunk. But by 1983, he was hiding his drinking even at home and struggling to keep up the facade.
0: Yeah, he had a bad year on the mound as well. His ERA ballooned to a career-high 5.53 in 1983. His career whip had been 1.3 and it rose to 1.6, with opponents hitting 330 against him. Between his performance and his descent into alcoholism, Joe Altabelli didn't let him pitch in either the ALCS or the World Series. Dennis still won a ring, and he's proud of that ring because although it was a bad year, 1983 represented the year he got a new start. In December, shortly after the World Series, Dennis was leaving the gym in the afternoon and ran into a friend, and they went to have a drink. One drink turned into six or seven more, and he finally left the bar at 9 p.m., On the drive home, he got a flat tire. A police officer found him and charged him with a DUI. He was humiliated and embarrassed and really lucky, to be honest, and especially embarrassed to tell his children what had happened and admit that he had a problem. They told him they already knew, everyone knew, their classmates had made fun of him about it and had made fun of them. And Dennis said that was his wake up call.
1: After that, he entered rehab And through Alcoholics Anonymous, he regained control of his life. And throughout his life, he would go to meetings regularly. Even if he was on the road, he would go to AA meetings. While he was getting control of his life, he struggled on the mound. He said it took a couple years to get his head right on the mound. He was pretty bad in 1984 and 85. And he said that when he was drinking, he would just grab the ball and throw. And he only thought about the game And he was able to just block everything else out. He said when he got sober, he had to concentrate on sobriety and he couldn't concentrate on the game. And he said for his life, baseball had to be second. So his ERA was up over five those first two seasons. He, in 1986, was used in relief in four games, gave up five runs in six innings, and then was sent down to AAA. And by June of that year, the Orioles gave up on him, not because he was still drinking but because he was
0: ineffective they traded 32 year old dennis to montreal with a player to be named later for a player to be named later <laughs> only one player named is the guy leaving <laughs> john Stefaro was eventually sent to montreal he would appear in 18 games for the expos and it was renee gonzalez who was sent back to baltimore renee played 13 seasons in the majors and is in the 1988 set we will get to him later But Dennis was hurt about this. A teammate pulled him aside and said, you're hurt and you have a right to feel this way, but don't forget this is a business. This team was your livelihood. They may not want you anymore, but another team does want you. He was okay in Montreal. He had some rough outings at the beginning of the season, but he did turn it around. Between August 26th and the end of 1986, he had seven appearances that had a 2.76 ERA and 42 innings. He really felt like he was back. Unfortunately,
1: this is also at the height of owner collusion. And Denny was on a $500,000 a year contract with Baltimore, and that contract was up. Montreal was never going to offer him that much money. He refused $250,000, a, a 50% pay cut. Some pay cut is understandable considering he had three bad years, but there were no other offers. When he refused the Montreal offer, he could not resign with the team Until May 1st. And according to the baseball reference, he signed for just $162,000. He went back to the minors to get in shape. He was okay at AAA, but then the Expos needed another pitcher and called him up in June. And he was back up and even better than before. And this, along with the Tim Raines contract dispute that we've discussed in previous episodes, this Montreal Expos team in 1987 won 91 games. They were missing Denny Martinez, who would have a 128 ERA plus in 1987 and go 11-4. and four. They were missing MVP candidate Tim Raines for the first month of the season. They finished four games out of first place. If if their ownership had just signed these guys, they might have made the playoffs. Who knows what could have happened? Maybe with a full season of Denny Martinez and Tim Raines, they could have been a truly great team. As good as Denny was in 1987, he would keep that up for his entire time in montreal during his six and a half seasons in montreal he went 97 and 66 with a 2.96 era that's a 126 era plus and from 1987 to 93 he was the third most valuable pitcher in the national league by wins above replacement after only jose Rijo and greg maddox he was ahead of oral Hirschheiser, doug drabeck dwight gooden david cohn most remarkably those other pitchers were all in their peak years They were all starting 1987 in their early 20s. Oral Hirschheiser was 28. Dennis was 33, and he ended that stretch at 39. He was also third in wins, complete games, and innings pitched during that stretch, and had 12 shutouts. Unfortunately, the Expos were right around 500 for the next three seasons, so he was often working out of the spotlight. In
0: 1990... Denny was named to the National League All-Star team. He had a 6-7 record, but his ERA was 2.76 at the break. Opponents were hitting only two twenty six against him, and he made an appearance pitching a scoreless inning. That made him the oldest player to make his All-Star game debut at the age of 36. And in 1991, he had another fantastic season, although the Expos finished below five hundred, He made his second All-Star game that year, And although his record was somewhat pedestrian looking at 14-11, he led the National League with an ERA of 2.39, which was a 153 ERA+.
1: He also led the National League with nine complete games and five shutouts. Two of those complete games were losses in which Denny only gave up one earned run, but still took a loss. And one of those shutouts was Denny's greatest game and what a lot of people remember El Presidente for. On July 28th at Dodger Stadium, against a Dodger team that would go on to win 93 games, Denny was dealing. He's throwing to Ron Hassey. The Dodgers included his former teammate, Eddie Murray, but also Brett Butler, Daryl Strawberry, some good hitters on this team. And Denny put them all down in order. Mike Morgan was the opposing pitcher. He was also perfect through five innings. There were a couple close calls. Juan Samuel tried to bunt for a hit in the 7th but Dennis always fielded his position well. He grabbed the ball barehanded and threw it to first base to get the out. At first base was Larry Walker. And this is one of only 81 appearances for Larry Walker in his career at first base. Luckily, he was able to make the grab. Samwell would later say that he had no idea that it was a perfect game. It was only a 2-0 game, and he knew it was close. He said, if I'd known it was a no-hitter, I wouldn't have bunted. I told Martinez that it was the biggest play of the game. I told him he looked like a shortstop the way he sprinted off the mound for the ball. So Dennis has no hits, no walks into the eighth. In the eighth inning, he comes up to the plate, and somebody yells from the stands, Denny, you have a perfect game going, trying to mess with him. And that was the first he said he realized that he was pitching a perfect game. He got a single, and he ended up stranded. But then he puts the Dodgers down in the eighth inning. In the ninth, gets Mike Sosha to fly out. Pinch hitter, strikes out, and Chris Gwynn comes to the plate. Another close call. He hits a foul ball right down the line that goes just foul. And on a 1-2 count, I think we got to throw it to Vin Scully. And Chris Gwynn standing aside, one and two the count. One pitch away from a pitcher's absolute nirvana. The pitchers dream a perfect game. Dennis Martinez ready and the 1-2 pitch popped in the air to center field. Going deep on it is Marcus Grissom. He's got it on the track. Dennis Martinez being mobbed by his teammates on this 28th of July 1991. 3.22 p.m. in the afternoon, Dennis Martinez has reached the ultimate,
0: a perfect game against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Nothing scratchy, nothing fluky. It was a masterpiece.
1: Never one to hide his emotions. Denny was in tears on the field. He said he went by himself in the dugout and sat and cried and and talked to himself and, and thought about what that moment meant. Afterwards, He arranged to spend $7,000 to have maple leaf coins made for all his teammates, all of the team's personnel and staff members to commemorate the day. This was the first time a player born outside the United States threw a perfect game. It was also Ron Hasse's second perfect game caught, the only catcher to do so. And a few weeks afterwards, there was a huge party thrown in Granada to celebrate Dennis and this accomplishment. He was already a national hero, just making the major leagues, winning a World Series. But now El Presidente was was perfect.
0: After the season, he finished fifth in the Cy Young balloting, valued at 5.8 war, which was a career high. Who won that year and beat him out? Because got, I mean, he had a 153 ERA plus and a 5.8 war. Like
1: He finished fifth. After Tom Glavin, Lee Smith, John Smiley, and Jose Rijo, Tom Glavin really, he should have won it. There's no question about it. Tom Glavin had a fantastic season, but Dennis should have finished higher than a closer Lee Smith.
0: 1992 and 1993, the Expos were over 500, finishing second in the National League East both seasons. Denny won 16 games and had a 2.47 ERA in 92 and made another all-star game. 1993, he's at the end of his contract, still pitching well, but 39 years old. And the Expos tried to shop him. Shopping a 39-year-old at the trade deadline. And Denny had enough service time that he could deny a trade if he wanted to. He turned down a trade to Atlanta in August. The Braves were in second in the NL West race. And the Expos were 14 games out. And, you know, the Braves could always use a, a sixth pitcher. <laughs> a sixth, like. Come on. But Dennis said no. He didn't want to be the fifth starter. He was comfortable in Montreal and was trying to get his 100th win in the National League, so he said no.
1: Dennis and his agent talked about this, and they thought that if he went to Atlanta, he might have a chance to play in the playoffs, maybe make it to a World Series, but he might only get three or four starts through the end of the season, and he really wanted to get that 100th win in the National League. He said if he stayed in Montreal, he would probably get seven or eight more starts. As it turned out, Atlanta ends up winning the East by one game. The Expos ended up making it close. They finished only three games behind the Phillies, and Dennis did get his 100th win in the National League, so 100 wins in both leagues, a pretty impressive accomplishment. But he also was staying in Montreal where he must have known that the Expos were going to be too cheap to sign him to a new contract, and he's going to be 40.
0: So he decides to sign with Cleveland a three-year deal it was <laughs> I mean why not <clears throat> thank you good job Cleveland this was announced the same day that Cleveland announced they signed his good friend Eddie Murray <laughs> also in his 40s at that point point. and what are you going to get from a 40 year old Dennis Martinez two of his best seasons he was the starter in the first game at the new Jacobs Field and in the strike-shortened season. He was worth 4.6 war, finishing 11-6 and 6 with a 3.52 ERA, seven complete games, and three shutouts at age 40, a 133 ERA+. Plus. And then in 1995, he was just as good. He was the ace of the staff that made it to the World Series on a rotation that had Charles Nagy and Oral Hershiser. He went 12-5, and five, but had a 3.08 ERA, a 152 ERA+. Plus. His whip was only 1.176, which is just phenomenal. And in 28 starts, he allowed more than three earned runs only five times.
1: This was a fantastic team. They won 100 games. They scored the most runs in the majors and gave up the second fewest runs. So just really dominant. There was an unfortunate incident in this season that Twins fans remember Dennis Martinez for. In September, he threw a pitch up and in to Kirby Puckett, and Kirby was leaning in, and it hit him in the cheek. It ended up breaking his jaw, but a year later, Puckett still hadn't come back, and he had vision problems that forced him to retire due to glaucoma, and some people blamed this beanball for Puckett's retirement and for the glaucoma. According to the team's medical director, this wasn't the case. They said he was hit in the left side of the face. The glaucoma was in the right eye. I don't know how those two things connect. I've seen it connected by some reports, but other reports say it didn't have anything to do with the glaucoma. When Puckett announced his retirement, Martinez was in town with Cleveland to play the Twins, and Denny sat at the press conference to listen to Kirby Puckett retire. Kirby Puckett called it out and said, Dennis Martinez sitting back there has taken a lot of crap for an accident that happened last year. I'm telling you now, I love Dennis Martinez, and he didn't do it on purpose. I was just leaning in too far. So a really—both, I think, a classy move on Dennis's part to go to that and on Kirby's part to say, this is just baseball, and this is just a thing that happened.
0: That 100-win Cleveland team makes it to the playoffs, and for the first time since 1979, Dennis is back in the playoffs— He pitched well in game one against Boston, allowing only two earned runs in six innings and a win. Then in the ALCS, he was one and one with a loss to Seattle in game one. But then in the clinching game six, he pitched seven shutout innings. In the World Series, he started game two, gave up four runs and took the loss. And in the deciding game six, he was pulled in the fifth inning with two outs and men on first and second. Jim Poole struck out Fred McGriff to get out of the jam, but... Atlanta won that game, one to nothing to win the series.
1: 1996 he didn't pitch after July, he had elbow problems that kept him out. He ends up signing with the Mariners in 1997 but was released with a 1 and 5 record and an ERA up near 8. He's 43 so he should probably retire and we should probably go to the final line on the card, but wait, there's more. That winter he went to Puerto Rico and he was pitching. He was bored, I guess. Atlanta saw him, (laughs) and they signed him to come back for a 23rd season at 44. And he was pretty good, mostly in relief. He had four starts, but appeared in 53 games, pitched in 91 innings, and had a 94 ERA+. Impressive considering he hadn't been a reliever with any regularity since the 70s. That year, he surpassed childhood hero Juan Marichal for wins by a Latino pitcher with 245. And that record has since been broken by Bartolo Colon. He also made four scoreless appearances in the NLCS and earned a win against
0: San Diego. The next February, he announced his retirement. He said, there is nothing more to do. So closing the book on Dennis Martinez, 23 seasons in the major leagues for five different teams, a record of 245 wins, 193 losses, an ERA of 3.70, which is a 106 ERA+. plus and 2,149 strikeouts. He's one of only 10 pitchers with 100 wins in both the American League and National League. Total innings pitched, 3,999 and two-thirds innings, one out away from 4,000 innings. That was the one other thing that he had to do. Go out for one more out.
1: They could have just gotten him one more out. In his career, 41st overall in innings pitched, 55th in wins, 73rd in strikeouts, 108th in pitching war, 49 and a half. So 108, it doesn't sound too impressive, but he's right around guys whose names are pretty well known. Felix Hernandez, King Felix, Jimmy Key, Louisiana and Ron Guidry, Bartolo Colon. He's one of only 24 pitchers in history to throw a perfect game made four all-star teams, won an ERA title, appeared on two Cy Young ballots and two MVP ballots. A very, very good career. What about for the Hall of Fame? In his first year on the ballot, he got 16 votes. That was only 3.2% of the vote. And so he was off. He was on the same ballot as Dave Steeb and Jimmy Key. Dave Steeb got seven votes. Jimmy Key got three votes. All three of them off the ballot in their first year with very similar career war values. His Hall of Stats rating is 93, 112th among pitchers, just below the 100 cutoff mark for a, a statistical Hall of Famer.
0: How about in retirement?
1: He established the Dennis Martinez Foundation to help children in Nicaragua and elsewhere in Latin America. He at one point worked for the Nicaraguan Visitor and Travel Bureau He coached his kids' high school teams in Miami, and from 2007 to 2012, he was a minor league pitching coach in the Cardinals organization. He also spent one season as the Astros bullpen coach, managed the Nicaragua baseball team in 2011 in the World Cup, as well as the World Baseball Classic qualifiers.
0: Here we have a pitcher who, for 23 years, was a part of baseball and then had that that renaissance later in life Now, having looked more into his background and his career, what do you think?
1: Maybe his numbers don't quite rise to a Hall of Fame level, but he's surprisingly close. And particularly with that last stretch after age 33 in Montreal, he compiled a lot of wins and other stats, not to the extent of Don Sutton or Burt Blylevin. He didn't hit 300 wins or 3,000 strikeouts, and he never had a single real standout season or Cy Young caliber season. But his career looks similar to Jack Morris. But Jack Morris had a few 20-win seasons, and he also had those World Series heroics. Instead, Dennis just had steady production in relative obscurity in Montreal. And his career is a what-if. What if he hadn't lost four seasons in Baltimore to alcoholism and recovery from alcoholism? He may have lost more prior to 1983. He was basically a functional alcoholic earlier in his career. He was pitching pretty well, and so nobody really noticed. But the stats even in Baltimore never touched his production in Montreal. Maybe if, if he hadn't lost those seasons, he would be in the 260-270 win range, maybe pushing toward 300 if he had had a few 20-win seasons with the Orioles in their really good years. But during that stretch where, that he lost to recovery, he was 29 years old and should have been near his peak, and instead he was missing time and unable to perform at his best. But also he may have taken that humiliation and that recovery and then the rejection from the Orioles and turned that into something more and use that to spur him on. And so maybe he wouldn't have performed to that level without that downtime, without that low, he might not have have actually reached his peak. Dennis loved his time in Montreal. He said, I was so grateful to be traded to the Expos, to a different country, to a different culture. That was my second chance in baseball. They treated me so good in Montreal. I was so happy to play there. People took me under their wing. But he wasn't happy at first. He was disappointed. It took a little while for him to get acclimated and for him to accept that that's where he was because they wanted him there. Dennis isn't in the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, but he's in four other Hall of Fames, the Orioles Hall of Fame, the Expos Hall, the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, and the Latino Baseball Hall of Fame. Two days before his induction into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, there was a celebrity slow-pitch softball game, and Dennis came to the plate and hit a home run, showing his greatness at the plate you know, he probably wasn't going to throw a perfect game in a celebrity slow-pitch softball game, but he could hit a home run. Dennis is also a hero in Nicaragua. He was the first Nicaraguan player to make it to the big leagues, and he won a World Series. And then he fell from grace. And I don't think that at that point, the people in Nicaragua turned their back on him. They still loved him as their national hero. But then for him to return and make all-star teams and have that perfect game, that ultimate perfect game... Now there are 14 other Nicaraguan-born players who've made it to the majors, and he must have served as a role model and as a hero for those young players. Currently, Jonathan Loaizaga and Erasmo Ramirez played in 2023 in, the na- in Major League Baseball. And the national stadium in Managua, which has seen a lot of history. When it was built, it was El Estadio Nacional, In 1972, after the earthquake, it was rebuilt and renamed after the former leader, Anastasio Somoza Garcia. When the Sandinistas took power in 1979, it was renamed for Rigoberto Lopez. That was the man who killed Anastasio Somoza Garcia. In 1998, it was renamed for the national hero, Denis Martinez. But the story of that stadium doesn't end there. And I, I mentioned that this is complicated because in 2017, there was a new stadium built, and it was a new Dennis Martinez stadium. He was there to throw out the first pitch alongside Sandinista president Daniel Ortega. Ortega's been in power since 2007 and basically has removed all institutional checks on his power. In 2018, there were protests against his government, and his government violently responded to those protests, killing over 300 people. And the stadium itself was used as an operations center for paramilitary forces, and 19 people were killed by snipers who were shooting from the stadium. The day after that, Dennis Martinez made a statement, and he was not a political person. He didn't make statements against the government, but he felt that he had to because this was from the stadium that had his name. He said, I want to express my condolences to the mothers of Nicaragua, and especially to those who have lost a loved one due to the tragic and painful situation in my country. He said, It hurts me to know that the stadium that bears my name is being used for purposes of violence. I would ask that out of respect for my person that I made an effort and carried on my shoulders for many years representing my country with a lot of pride, stop using it for those purposes, because those are not the values and the principles of my person. In response to this statement saying don't kill protesters, Martinez was called an opportunist, ungrateful, scammer, thief, and terrorist and his name was removed from the stadium, murals covering his career were removed. And he was calling for a dialogue and for a peaceful resolution. And he said that the stadium was a place where I dreamed we Nicaraguans could get together to enjoy the sport that I carry in my heart. That stadium was renamed the Sovereignty Stadium. And sadly, the the Sandinista government removed Dennis's name from the stadium. They wanted to find the name of another player who was more... Receptive to their government and to their leadership, and instead they just replaced it with a word. But they can't erase how important Dennis Martinez was to young Nicaraguans as well as young Latin American players. When big sexy Bartolo Colon tied Dennis Martinez's wins record for a Latin American player, he said, I'm very happy, and it's an honor to tie Dennis Martinez. In my mind, it was always Juan Marichal and Dennis Martinez. So he loomed large in the mind of young players in Latin America. The scout who found him said, he's something extra special. He went through a lot of hardships, a lot of problems. He did it on his own. Of all the people I signed, he was the best person and the best pitcher.
0: Just an amazing career and able to rack up a lot of success and inspire lots of people around the globe. So great card, great pitcher. Thank you for the story today, David. And thank you to you at home. If you've ever had a perfect day, tell us all about it on threads. We're at 1988 Tops Podcast. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.